lava is the largest rapid down there and it's kind of near the end and by then you've done so much white water like you're just in it it's it's no big deal to look at these huge waves that are 20 feet tall and just punch right through them you got it but you get the lava and lava is mega and lava will scare the everything out of you This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 57, Steve Fastbinder, Pack Rafting. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. We have a really fun topic for you folks today and a great guest to tell us all about it. I don't know how many of you have heard of pack rafting before, but pack rafts are carryable rafts that you can actually put in a pack, carry along with a bike. It allows you to deal with water that's in your way, and we have a great adventurer to visit with us today about this, Steve Fastbinder lives outside of Durango, Colorado. He is into cycling, both road biking as well as mountain biking. He's into climbing. He's also a photographer and a writer and a pack rafter. So Steve, welcome to the program. Thanks, Curtis. Good to be here. Take a few minutes, if you would, to tell our listeners about yourself and your connection to pack rafting. Like you mentioned earlier, uh, I've been into uh, mountain biking, climbing, and you know, outdoor adventure for as much as long as I can remember, really. But about five or six years ago, well, let's let's go back a little farther than that. About twelve years ago, I'd heard rumors of these funny boats being used up in Alaska um, for this race called the uh, Alaska Wilderness Classic. And the Alaska Wilderness Classic is a race. It's a point-to-point race that happens in a different zone in Alaska every year, and it's usually about two hundred miles overland. And you're allowed to take any gear you want to get from point to point. The only thing is, whatever you start the race with, you have to finish the race with. So if you're going to take a bike with you on the race to do some section that would be fast on a bike, you have to then carry that bike the whole way. So if you're going to take a boat with you um, on this race to take some you know, river corridors that might be fast, you have to also finish with that boat. So you can't carry anything that's big and heavy. Um, and that's kind of where modern pack rafting um, kind of gained ground and there became a real need for uh, a boat that was lightweight that could handle water, was durable enough and, uh, and safe enough. Um, so I'd heard about these many, many years ago, but you know, I was a bike racer back then and I didn't really put much thought into it. So uh, years came and went and about five years ago, I, I saw this video and uh, it was about these guys up in Alaska, and they'd done a really cool adventure out on the Lost Coast, which is kind of southeast Alaska. And they'd done a long trip on this coast, and they did a 17-day trip. I think they didn't see anyone for 16 of those days. Wow. And they used these pack rafts, and they used bikes um, to ride along the beach. And pack rafts to cross any large bays, which there were tons of them, any large rivers that were coming in you know, from those glacial areas. Um, they'd use these pack rafts to get across all this stuff. And, you know, some of these crossings were, were major, you know, like 
several hour endeavors paddling across these large inlets and stuff. And, uh, I was pretty blown away. And, you know, of course my brain started spinning and I said, I have to have one of these. This is, this is what I want to do. Um, and it kind of just snowballed from there. And now I work at alpaca rafts because they're based out of the Durango area now. And that's where I live. Wow. You're telling me that this is a raft that's small enough and light enough to carry even in a race, but you can still get a bicycle and all your gear and yourself in it and do miles of open water. Correct. Uh, absolutely correct. Um, you know, they are small boats, although we do make uh, a variety of different sizes. Obviously, the larger you go, the, the more weight you're going to have. But uh, their standard personal sized raft that can carry a bike and all your gear, it weighs in at about six to seven pounds, depending on if you have um, a spray skirt on or not. Um, and some of the other attachments that we have for the boats, anything you add obviously adds weight, but, uh, our basic boat that can handle a lot of stuff is about six pounds. So what kind of a size are we talking? Could two people get in one of these or is it pretty much one person in gear? How big are they? They they vary in size. So we make a boat that a, a, a standard adult would feel super cramped in. And that's just something that you would take and it weighs like three pounds. That's something you'd take say you're, uh, you're fishing and you want to get to some high alpine lakes or you want to get across a flat river. It's something you don't want to be in all day or very long, but it's something that gets you across the water. Our standard boat is a single person craft and it's comfortable to be in. You can paddle it all day long. That's the boat that I was talking about that you can also put a bike on if you wanted to. And that's about six pounds. We also make two person boat, very comfortable for two people. Almost all of our boats can also be, um, a spray skirt can be added to all of our boats, and that allows you to stay more dry inside the boat. We offer two different models, one drier than the other, um, one semi-removable, one not. Um, but that's all stuff that you know I could describe in detail, but it would probably get pretty boring if people want to get uh, you know educated. They can just go to our website and see all the real details of that stuff. Okay, one question specifically about the boats, and we'll move on. Sure. So the boat's six or seven pounds, but how do you inflate the thing? Um, that's a great question actually. And, uh, it's funny too, because when we show up at rivers and there's people around that, uh, that haven't seen these backrafts before and they're definitely gaining popularity. So, you know, a lot of people know what these are, at least in the Durango area now, but, uh, when people that haven't seen, uh, these boats, when they see us inflate them, that's beyond the boat being kind of cool. They're really intrigued mostly by the inflation bag and how you blow it up. Um, so most people think when you blow up boats or sleeping pads or things like that, you need like a pump or like a big, you know, you look at a big raft and it has this giant like PVC pump and it weighs 10 pounds. Um, but what we have is just a small bag. Well, not even small. It's a large bag, like a garbage bag sized. It's got two little sticks on the, on one end and on the opposite end is a valve and that valve coincides with the valve on the boat. And so you just screw that valve into the boat and you take the two sticks at the top of the bag and just imagine capturing a bag full or it looks like a giant pillowcase of air, closing the bag with the two sticks and just pressing it in in one smooth motion. And it takes about 10 to 12 bagfuls to fill up one of the boats. And once you have, you know, the boat up, then you take the bag off, close the valve, and then there's a small mouth valve that you, uh, you know, fill it up the rest of the way with, uh, with just your breath. Oh, that's pretty innovative. It's pretty cool, actually. Um, it's surprising how fast you can get these boats up to pressure, like two or three minutes once you're good at it. Wow, very cool. Well, hey, tell us a little bit about why you would encourage people to try this pack rafting. There's just so m- there's so many varieties of, of uses out there for these boats. Um, you know, you may get one thinking you're going to use it for one thing, um, 
but inevitably you'll find that you're going to end up using it for something that you hadn't imagined before. And it's the versatility of the boats. Um, you know, for me personally, I really got the boat to allow me to do longer bike trips where water was possibly in the way, or say there was a river and I wanted to use that river corridor as part of my route. So I could take my bike with me, keep going down, down river, build the bike up and ride away. And that's, that's what I was looking forward to, um, when I got the boat, but I've since come to find out that just running whitewater, um, without a bike is pretty fun too. And so I do quite a bit of that now as well. So the same boat that I have that you can throw a bike on, um, you can also have a pretty watertight spray skirt and run it similar to a kayak. Um, obviously it's not a kayak. It's not a hard shell. It's a soft boat, but, uh, you can get out there and have a lot of fun as if you were kayaking. So it's a pretty stable little device then. Correct. Quite stable, actually. Um, the learning curve, because they're so stable, is, is just, it's very friendly. That's neat. Well, yeah. tell us a story of an amazing experience that you had using these pack rafts, right, that kind of hooked you on it. Right. Well, I'm, I would have to say it was the, the first trip that I did after I got my boat. I'd been planning this trip before I even purchased the boat, knowing that I would need this to complete this trip that I wanted to go on. So the trip that I did was starting out in Utah, kind of near the um, Canyonlands area. So Canyonlands is three districts. It's Needles District, Island in the Sky. That's the White Rim, real popular bike ride out there. And then you have the Maze District, really hard to get to, uh, very, very unvisited. And what separates all of these three districts are large rivers, the Colorado and the Green. And the Colorado and the Green come together at like a point, and that's what makes Island in the Sky. And then beyond there, the Green joins the Colorado, and that's the, what separates the Maze and the Needles District. So anyways, getting to the, to the Maze District is quite hard, like I said. So the trip that I wanted to do was to ride my bike basically across Utah and using the, bo the boat wherever I needed to to cross water. So the first water crossing was right there on the Colorado River to get over to the Maze District. To get to the Maze District in a vehicle from where we crossed would probably take you 10 hours of driving. Oh. And I was able to hike down with my bike and all my gear on my pack and be over the Maze in just a couple of hours and get to see some really amazing terrain on the way. Um, so that was like the first leg of the journey. That was like day one. And we did a 12-day trip. So then we were able to ride across the Maze District, see places that I'd never seen before, very remote, very few people. Um, we rode for a few days, and then we got ourselves down onto another river corridor, another really unused area. It's called the Dirty Devil River. And the Dirty Devil River is one of those desert rivers that only flows for a really short amount of time. So you kind of get lucky if there's any water in it at all. So we show up on the edge of this little creek and... Uh, it's got water in it, but it's not very much. So we build up our boats and there's four inches of water in this thing. And we strap our bikes and the rest of our gear to, to these little things. And we push off. And, uh, you know, I had ho high hopes for uh, being able to boat right away. But uh, we kind of ended up dragging our, our bikes and boats <laughs> and paddling as much as we could in between. But uh, it was quite a bit of work to just drag our boats through this corridor for a couple of days. But then again, got to see some amazing terrain, you know, um, it slows you down getting off the bike, you know, it really slows you down. You see a lot more, um, and you see different places, you know, I never would have imagined doing a bike trip where I could follow river corridors, you know, and then continue on beyond that. 
Um, so beyond that, we rode our bikes out over the Henry Mountains. Henry Mountains are a central range in Utah, um, the last map mountain range in the continent of the United States. And as such, it's quite remote. We saw um, there's a herd of wild buffalo there, and we got to see a buffalo, which was pretty cool. They're huge, kind of scary. And then from there, we made our way over to the Escalante River, which is another one of these desert rivers that rarely runs. It was uh, We were lucky enough to have a little water in it that year, and so we did three days of boating on the Escalante River with our bikes on these boats. Once you're in this canyon, you're really committed. You, you kind of have to make it to your intended takeout because um, it's not really a good way out in a lot of places, especially with tons of gear, which we had. So we were able to make it to our takeout and, and hike out. Took, uh, it took us a couple of trips to get all of our gear out and up to the canyon rim. And uh, involves a little bit of rope work, too. But we got it done and then continued out through the Escalante area. And yeah, we took another 100 miles of dirt roads and ended up in Page, Arizona. And that uh, was the first trip. You know, it, it just made me want to look into pack rafting even more than I had, you know, previously Holy cow. So <laughs> how many days was this? This is huge. Yeah, it was like 11 days. 11 days. And how many miles do you think you covered? I don't know. I couldn't even really guess. But we saw we saw a lot of really remote country. Like there were more days than not where we didn't see anyone. You know, this sounds like a major expedition, not a day trip with a, a blow up raft. I mean, you guys really went somewhere. We definitely went somewhere. Um, and definitely... There was heavy, heavy planning involved, and I even was able to go out ahead of time and uh, and make a couple of food stashes because we were in remote places. So basically, we we saw two miles of pavement on that whole trip. Wow, that's really neat. What is it like to get that remote in these areas with a bike and a raft? Um, it's it's kind of why why I do you know what I do. It's that's that's what I'm looking for. You know, the the longer I can go without seeing people on a trip that, you know, the better the trip was basically like that gets extra points right there. Um, you know, it, it's, it's nice. You, you, you disappear from all your devices, you know, any of stresses you may have slowly melt away. And, uh, when you do come back, you just have a, a pretty deep sense of refreshment, or at least I find myself too. You know, this is, I, my brain is kind of racing here, but I'm thinking about all the different types of journeys that this would open up. Correct. Whether it's with a bike or on foot, correct. It doesn't really matter. Or if you just wanted to go down a river, and then you maybe you had to hike out, and it was too too tough of an exit to have a big raft or a kayak with you. Right. There's lots of places where that comes into play too, and that's that's nice too because it's a little more simple. You know, dragging your bike with you, it's a lot of stuff, and you know, and it's cumbersome. But uh, yeah, the idea of just going down with a small boat and a small pack and going for you know even a day to some remote place nice and light, and then having to hike out, it opens up a lot of stuff that people wouldn't really think would be would be doable. You know, carrying a kayak is doable, but it's pretty awful also. Do you love mountains? not alone. Jerry Roach is well known for his extraordinary and detailed guidebook, Colorado 14ers. But did you know that Jerry has written 15 books, including guidebooks to 13ers, Indian Peaks, Rocky Mountain National Park, and more? 
But he's also written narratives about a lifetime of mountaineering full of Jerry's insights and humor. If you like adventure, then these books are for you. Jerry Roach's books can be purchased at his website, summitsite.com. That's S-U-M-M-I-T-S-I-G-H-T.com, as well as on Amazon and in bookstores near you. If you're thinking about your future, think about Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado. Think a beautiful mountain campus where hiking, biking, kayaking, and snow riding are right outside your door. Think a friendly community buzzing with music, arts, events, and sports. Think faculty mentors, real research, and professional experiences that prepare you to both make a living and make a life. If you think college should be an adventure, think Fort Lewis College. See for yourself at fortlewis.edu. Here's kind of an off-the-wall question, but in Colorado, there are a lot of wilderness areas, and they're designated no machinery, right? So you can't have a bike in a wilderness area. Can you take one of these rafts in? Oh, I mean, yeah, they're they're totally unmechanical. So wilderness pack rafting, I mean, that's kind of, like I said, with the Wilderness Classic in Alaska, that's, that's kind of what kicked off the need for this modern pack raft. Inflatable boats existed before, but it was mostly like people grabbing a Kmart pool toy and it would last for two hours and then they would get their trip done or they'd get halfway into it and then they'd have this, you know, piece of plastic that wouldn't inflate anymore. But uh, yeah, uh, wilderness is really, uh, it really was one of the things that kind of got the modern pack rafting, you know, it just really opened up a lot of things, I think, for that race. And I think a lot of people went to that race and then decided, oh, well, this in the greater world is uh, is something that we need. Well, this is the coolest thing. So what about saltwater? Any issues using it there? No issues whatsoever. Uh, it's a urethane-coated fabric. Um, it's, it's not uh, affected by saltwater. Heavy oils and, and acids and things like that, uh, you don't want to get near with the boat, but uh, you wouldn't really necessarily get around that stuff, I don't think. So no acid rivers? No acid <laughs> rivers. Yeah, stay away from the acid rain if you could help it. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, hey, tell us a story about a time that things did not go right. Or uh, or some things that people might need to watch out for when they're pack right, rafting. Right. As more and more people get into this kind of stuff, pack rafting is pretty accessible. I mean, if you have the money to purchase a boat, you can grab a boat and you can just go down whatever river you feel like. That may or may not be the best plan. You know, there's a lot of research that you need to do. There's a lot of other equipment you need to get. Safety gear, PFD, throw bags, know how to use them, helmets. Dry suits, huge, depending on where you're boating. Um, and all this stuff, you can you can start without it. But when you start getting into deeper and more committed trips, um, it's really important to have some of this gear and to know how to use it. And also, um, you know, the idea of pack rafting is it's a, it's a self-reliant sport. You don't want to go out there and, and, you know, have to be like, oh, well, we went down this river because it looked cool at the put-in, but then you realize it's class six and you're stuck. That, you know, research, it's, it's prudent to do your research. Um, 
personally, um, I've definitely gotten myself in over my head, but uh, always with a good partner. You know, if you're going to go into something that's a little over your head, always a good idea to have someone with you that maybe has done what you're planning on doing before, like a guide. And so, yeah, I've definitely had my share of scary swims and, uh, you know, it's all fine and good as you're paddling down the river and the rapids are big and you're in your boat. But when you come out of that boat, you lose pretty much all control and, and things can change very quickly. Well, what happens to the gear in the raft if, if you come out of the boat? I'm assuming maybe the raft is flipped or something. Right, right. Um, and that depends on, uh, and on your personal rigging situation and, and how much stuff you have with you and how you rig it. So when pack rafts first started coming out, the idea was you have your backpack, you probably put it in a dry bag, and you tie it off to the front of the boat. Um, our boats have um, four tie-down points in the front, and you can lash all your gear down to that. And so as long as your lashing job is good, your stuff's not going anywhere. But if you don't strap your stuff down, you can have it floating everywhere. Um, now, the modern boats that we're making have an option called the cargo fly. And that is, and, and this is a game changer, big time. The cargo fly is a waterproof zipper. And did I say airtight? Airtight as well, zipper. And it's on the back of the boat. It's about 16 inches long. And the zipper allows you to open up the boat, the air chamber itself, and to stash all of your gear securely inside the tube of the boat, the air chamber, close the zipper, blow your boat up, and off you go. You may have... 50 pounds of gear inside your boat, but no one can tell because it's in those tubes, right? And it really is a game changer. So first of all, you can't lose your gear. Gear won't get wet, won't get lost. And it's also um, low center of gravity. So instead of having that big pack on the front on top of your boat where it's, um, you know, the center of gravity is high, you have all this weight down low below the waterline. And it's, it's truly a game changer. Wow, that is really cool. I would expect that you'd want to have a little bit of boating experience before you jumped into a kind of an unknown river. Uh, how experienced do you think you need to be? Do you need to be a kayaker first or have, you know, maybe had done some, some whitewater rafting? As long as you start small and, and you have a friend that is an experienced person, I mean, you can start from ground zero. I started at ground zero. I was never a kayaker before. I'd been on like a river trip or two before, but not really interested in boating. And, uh, and I took small bites, you know, um, flat water, class one, see what the boat can do, do your research, you know, like I said before, get all the necessary gear to start upgrading your, uh, you know, ability and, and what you need to get out there. So I don't think you need any specialized training until you go beyond what your personal comfort level is. Um, and that's different for everyone. Um, so no, you don't, you don't need special training to get started. Just Make sure you do the research and, uh, you know, keep it safe. Don't bite off more than you can chew. When you paddle these things, are you using a kayak paddle with two blades on one stick or are you using oars like on a large raft? We do make an oar rig for a couple of our boats. Um, they're not big sellers. Um, fishermen tend to like those. But our 99% of our customers, they use kayak paddle. And what you'll do is, and we sell them at Alpaca, um, is you use a four-piece breakdown paddle. So it comes in four sections and clicks together. And uh, that allows you to pack it up real nice. I mean, the whole thing can fit in your backpack and, you know, and no one can even tell the difference. No one, you can't even see it. Oh, very neat. Right. All right. So let's say that you're an experienced whitewater boater, right? Mm-hmm. What can this raft handle? Class okay. five, class four, <laughs> what are we up against? That, that's a great question also. Um, 
like I said, we do have a lot of models and a boat that we just released that has been in the making for like seven years. <laughs> we didn't want to put it out until it was ready and it's ready. And it's, it's a pretty incredible boat. Um, it's called the Alpacalypse. Um, so like apocalypse, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. So it's, it's next level. This, this is when you're a hard shell kayaker, um, or you're a pack rafter and you've taken your pack raft to, the limit of what it can kind of do and and you want you want more that's what this boat is for great for hard shell kayakers who want to do more um carry-in style boating where you maybe have to carry your boat in for some ways um, there's a lot of amazing runs even in our area where you know kayakers will carry their boats in carrying a kayak is pretty brutal so yeah this boat can handle assuming you have all the correct gear know-how and the cojones, you can paddle class five. Wow. Do you have a boat that'll do class five? Um, some of the other boats might be more comfortable in four minus, right? Yeah. I mean, class three, no problem in these boats. Um, they're, they're very stable. And, you know, if you have the skills and want to get into some four minus stuff in our regular boats, I wouldn't just go out and suggest that, but it can be done. People do it all the time. But, you know, you're getting towards the limit there. But the Alpacalypse has got you covered. It does. It's also much more expensive and heavier, of course. You know, it's a heavier-duty fabric, and it has a lot of rigging inside that allows you to kind of connect yourself to the boat to give you that feel of being connected, like as if you were in a kayak. Um, yeah, so it's a soft, it's a soft shell boat, but it gives you that hard shell feeling. So you work for Alpaca Rafts. Tell us a little bit about that company. Now people can find more information about them. We do internet sales for 90 plus percent of our sales and uh, our website is alpacaraft.com and people can go there, educate themselves. There's lots of questions, lots of models, everything's on there. If you're interested in pack rafting, it's a really great place to start. Check out the site. There's links to people's videos. Another really good way to uh, just see what's out there and what people are doing with these boats is, you know, just go to YouTube or Vimeo and just type in, you know, pack rafting and a billion things will come up. Yeah, so we're based in Mancos, Colorado, and we're a pretty small company and we make everything in-house. 99.9% of everything we make and produce is made in-house. And let's see... Probably about ten to fifteen dogs at the uh, at the company every day, so definitely some dog lovers in there. <laughs> That's great. So, how do you get a job like that? It sounds <laughs> sounds really cool. <laughs> That's a good question too. Um, I think there's a little luck, and uh, <laughs> maybe a little luck, and maybe you happen to live here and you're passionate about the product. I think that's kind of how I fell into it. And, you know, you also might need some skills. Um, I have a lot of sewing skills and our boats are sewn in the beginning. Um, but beyond that, they're plastic welded and and, uh, and RF welded. And I have a lot of uh, experience with machinery and such. I've been a carpenter my whole life. You mentioned, I think, that you have a blog. Yes. You also have some projects going on. I'm sure that our guests would like to hear more about your adventures. So tell us a little bit about those. Sure. Guess it was right around the time that I got my first boat, um, and I've been a photographer, you know, for my whole life. But uh, I kind of started getting more into photography, and uh, I wanted a venue to kind of put some stuff out there. And I was doing these kind of what I considered cool trips with this new boat that I had. So I was just looking for an avenue to kind of put some of that stuff out there. Also, you know, it was a it was a good way to kind of. I don't know, refresh my writing skills or lack thereof. So uh, I started a blog and 
it's something that I don't work super hard at, but uh, when I do put something up, I, I, I try to keep it super high quality, you know, not too heavy on the writing, but uh, a little more heavy on good photographs. So that's therepublicofdoom.blogspot.com. Yeah, I probably do a story or two per month, um, nothing heavy duty, but I like to share some of the adventures that I do, and uh, and sometimes I'll throw in like links to other friends' adventures along the way that I think are pretty awesome. And then through that, um, through that, I was contacted by Specialized Bikes this past year, and uh, they saw what, they, what I was doing, and uh, they have a new line of adventure bikes. And adventure biking is really growing like across the board with all the bike companies. So they have a bunch of bikes that they wanted to promote. And they asked me if I would do some stories, photography for uh, for their site to um, promote these bikes, and that's called SeekAndEnjoy.com. And so it's me and about 10 other people, riders from around the world. And that's just a place where we all share our, our photos and stories. And, uh, and it's pretty diverse, actually. Um, you know, I'm the get out there with the fat bike and the pack raft and go climb something kind of person. And then we have other people that do like cross-country tours um, on these uh, like lightweight carbon touring bikes and things like that. And everything in between, really. So uh I would definitely encourage people to go and check those places out. So when you say adventure bikes, are you saying just, you know, a mountain bike that seems right for an adventure or are they coming up with special lines of bikes that are geared specifically for different types of adventures? Kind of all of the above really with, uh, with this new adventure bike thing. Um, it's, it's kind of geared towards doing overnight trips or what a lot of people now call it's the industry terms, bike packing. And so that's overnight camping with your bike, um, getting out for multiple days. Um, and there's, there's all different varieties of bike packing. Um, there are specific bikes for that. Now you can just use a standard mountain bike for any type of this bike packing stuff. But, uh, some of these bikes that are coming out, they're, they're geared towards that. The geometry is geared towards that. The wheel size is geared towards that. Um, you know, unless you're a real bike nerd, it'd probably be pretty boring if I started explaining all the little nuances with these new bikes. So specialized found you. So it kind of makes you sponsored now, huh? Oh, I guess you could say that. Yeah, happily so. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> yeah. How fun is that? So everyone, if you want to get noticed, maybe you do need to put a blog out there and take a lot of really great pictures and let people know about what you're doing. So your blog now, you said Republic of Doom. Give us the full URL again. Um, Yeah, it's therepublicofdoom.blogspot.com. .blogspot.com. And I did go to the blog previously and look through it a little bit. There's a lot of really cool stuff there. So I encourage our listeners to go check it out. It's really neat. This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by 180TAC.com. 180TAC manufactures premier backpacking and emergency products. Whether you need a backpacking stove for your week-long trek on the trail or an emergency stove for your bug-out bag, we have the tools you need. Visit www.180tack.com. Colorado Mountain Club members get the most out of the Colorado summers. We summit 14ers, enjoy relaxing fly fishing excursions, climb thousand foot rock faces, backpack through wilderness areas, explore the culture of Europe, raft through the Grand Canyon, and so much more. The Colorado Mountain Club 
teaches you the skills you need to safely maximize living in such an awesome outdoor playground, as well as connects you to thousands of other adventure-loving mountaineers. Founded in 1912, the Colorado Mountain Club acts as a gateway to the mountains for novices and experts alike. It's the perfect time to sign up for a membership. For more information, go to cmc.org. That's cmc.org. you think that this pack rafting benefits uh, individuals or society as a whole? That's a good question. I don't think anyone's ever really put it to me like that. Um, you know, I can speak for myself in that uh, it's really opened up a whole new world of travel. And I've always been very bike focused. You know, if I can ride somewhere, I'm not going to drive, right? So, the idea of doing self-supported adventures, um, human-powered adventures, um, and that's what I've always been into. And the boat just adds the ability to do human-powered adventures with water included. Now, you know, that can be with or without a bike, with or without climbing adventures, however you want to do it. Um, but the idea of being able to just show up somewhere with a boat that fits in your pack and all the necessary gear can just fit in your pack – and to be able to do, you know, large wilderness loops without having, you know, to run a shuttle, without having to drive to trailheads and leave a vehicle. Every place that we love is getting more crowded these days. And the lesser impact we can have, I mean, obviously, we all want to go to these amazing places all over the world. Um, but the less impact that we can have, you know, I think the better off we are. And I think that's pretty easy to agree on. Um, and the idea of taking just a minimal amount of stuff. Um, these boats are definitely one of the main ingredients to being able to do that if any type of water is involved. Not to say you shouldn't go out and kayak, go do your big river trips, whatever. The packraft just it allows you to do something a little different. Um, you mentioned a couple of times human-powered adventures, and I think I kind of get the idea of why that would be appealing to some people, but why would you prefer a human-powered adventure over, say, driving a four-wheel drive or an ATV or a motorcycle or that sort of stuff? Personally, I've just never been into that type of stuff. Like when I was a kid, I didn't I didn't have a moto or, you know, we didn't really have that kind of stuff. And so I wanted to still get out and about. And, and my freedom was always the bike that I had. And, uh, you know, when I was a little kid, it was that <laughs> janky BMX with flat tires. I rode it anywhere I could, you know, as, uh, as I got older and, and got more into it, you know, then, Hey, I got a mountain bike, um, along the way, I get a road bike. And the idea is just, you don't have to worry about, okay, where am I going to get gas at the next, you know, stop? Well, what if, and I've never been very mechanical when it comes to automobiles, um, or any of that type of stuff. So, you know, what if it breaks down and you're 30 miles from nowhere? Okay. You're, you're kind of stuck at that point. Um, you know, with the bike, with the boat, you know, the idea is self-reliance and, Generally, with those types of devices, bikes, boats, skis, you can pretty much fix most things that will go wrong in the field and at least get out of where you're at. Now, 
you're on your ATV and you're in the middle of nowhere and, you know, you break the axle. Well, you're, you're kind of done. And that's just, that's just kind of a turnoff for me. I, you know, I like the quieter sports as well. And so cycling, paddling, all that, you know, they're much quieter. Um, it allows me to think a lot more. And uh, it also just allows you to look at the area you live. And, and roads don't necessarily have to play a part in, in how you do that. So you can look deeper into those little crevices and places on the map where there's nothing. And, and you can find something there. In fact, I really believe that everything is in those places. I first started cycling, well, obviously, I, just like you, grade school on my little my little one-speed bike, right? And of course, I, yeah. I love that thing. Of course, back in grade school, it it was anything from a motorcycle to a jet airplane, you know, whatever the the, right. the vision was at the time. But later, I, I took up road biking, and I used to do some distance, week-long yeah. rides. And what I was so amazed about, Steve, was that you're covering a lot of distance and seeing a lot of different sceneries, but at a pace that allows you to really soak it up and absorb it. Absolutely. You know, and a week on a bicycle, not only was it an amazing experience and healthy and all the rest, but I remember when the, when the week was over and we'd jump in a car and head somewhere, it's like, whoa, put on the brakes, what's going on? Right. It was a, a whole different rhythm. It's a completely different rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. There's something so healthy about it, you know? Yeah. Another thing that I, I have to add, and, and this kind of fits more towards the the more um, road tours I've done. I've done some cross-country tours. You know, when you run into people out there, you are just so much more approachable. So you end up meeting, you know, you have a totally different interaction with the people you meet along the way versus if you're on a road trip. You're on a road trip? You pretty much don't talk to nearly as many people as if you're cycling through an area. You're approachable. People want to know what you're doing. They want to tell you you're crazy or, or whatever. They want to you know, invite you home for dinner um, and camp in their yard. I mean, it's happened to me <laughs> more often than not. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. You know, the, the other side of this coin is about the boating. I, I also have done some kayaking over the years. Okay. And one of the things I love about that is that the wildlife doesn't expect you to drift up on the river, you know? Right, you're, you're quiet. You're quiet, and so you can just drift right by wildlife without disturbing them. Right. You know, deer, we've seen moose swimming across the river, you know, all sorts of of birds, waterfowl, mm-hmm. and it's an experience you can't get even hiking. Right, right, yeah. I mean, yeah, going down a river, I mean, you are absolutely quiet. You stop paddling, and, and you're, you're, you're part of it. <laughs> You know, I think that's one of the reasons why your story about crossing so much of Utah there by boat and bike, man, that really jazzed me up. Yeah. And, you know, since that trip, that was five years ago, I've I've just built on that trip. And so, you know, it's really just gotten better since then. Well, hey, I liked the story so much about that trip across um, Utah. Do you have another adventure that you'd like to tell us about? Sure. Um, I, I absolutely do. Um, I mean, I, I have a lot of trips that I've done. I've been pretty lucky along the way to, to be able to do some really cool stuff. But uh, a trip that I really, really enjoyed was uh, I was invited by a couple of guys in Alaska. They're pack rafters. They're not cyclists so much. They're pack rafters and they're mountaineers, skiers. And, uh, and so this guy, Luke, had done a couple of trips up in Alaska. He'd done a couple of the highest peaks in North America. Um, that would be Denali and I believe Mount Logan. And he'd done both of these peaks over like 30-day expeditions, fully self-supported, fully human-powered. So that's pretty much from his door. You know, they rode bikes, brought skis and pack rafts and went to these tops of these peaks and made a loop out of it 
came back pack rafting down rivers, huge expeditions, 30, 30 day expeditions, big time wow. losing like 15 pounds or whatever. <laughs> anyway, they're really, they're really incredible trips. So anyways, he wanted to kind of make the triple crown out of it. And so the third highest peak in North America is Pico de Orizaba and that's down in central Mexico. And, uh, he knew I was a cyclist and pack rafter and I do this kind of stuff. And he just sent the invite out. Hey, going down to Mexico, want to join on this trip. It sounded perfect. I mean, I said yes in about two seconds. Um, didn't have to think about it. So committed to the trip and we went down to Mexico and we brought pack rafts, dry suits, all the paddling gear necessary, and also ice axes, crampons, because there's a glacier on top of this peak that you have to ascend at the end. And we got down to Puebla and that's a large city, about 4 million people. It's about, I don't know, 150 miles away from uh, Pico de Rosaba. And we bought like $100 Walmart, Mexican Walmart style mountain bikes uh, <laughs> because we knew we would be giving the bikes away at the end. It's really expensive to fly with bikes. And also at the end of this trip, which we'll get to, um, we were putting on with our pack rafts on a river where we couldn't, it was too gnarly of a river to bring the bikes with. So we knew we'd be giving these bikes away. So we spent $100 each on these bikes and we kind of, hoped for the best. (laughs) So day one was riding through a city of 4 million people in, you know, the heart of Mexico at rush hour on these bikes loaded, loaded up with 60, 70 pounds of gear. Needless to say, it was probably the sketchiest part of our trip. Made it through town. All right. And we rode for three days to the base of Pico de Orizaba. And once you get to the base, um, if the road gets really steep, pavement disappears completely and you're kind of just pushing. So we push our bikes up to 14,000 feet And that's where uh, there's like a climber's cabin up there. It's called the Refugio. And you stay there for a day typically and acclimate. And, uh, you know, it's it's just way up there. You have this commanding view of the jungle on one side and the desert on the other. So this mountain kind of splits what turns into, you know, from the jungle into the desert. And you can't quite see the ocean, but it's out there. Anyways, we did uh, make the summit of Pico de Arizaba and got back down to the Refugio. And there were bunch of climbers that had just shown up and uh, we got down to our bikes and you know the whole time we're thinking okay hopefully we can like maybe we can sell our ice axes and all of our crampons to these mexican guides and clients because we don't want to really take them on our pack rafts you know sharp things and pack rafts they don't really (laughs) right so uh we were able to sell most of our gear and get a bunch of pesos and uh and go on our merry way so um on that same day that we summited, we also descended on these Walmart bikes, um, 8,000 vertical feet. <laughs> 8,000 feet on the Walmart bike. Yeah, and uh, and it was rough and it was sketchy. <laughs> you could take the handlebars and just visibly twist them, right? <laughs> um, but it worked. Everything was fine. Um, I don't, I don't think we even got any flats that day. And uh, we descended through the jungle and uh, and did another two and a half more days of riding through the jungle, uh, really remote places. Um, I also have to mention that during this whole trip, and I think we were in Mexico for two weeks, we didn't see any gringos except on the two cities that were on either side that bookended this trip. So no gringos. Nice. <laughs> we were We were a little out there. So anyways, ride for several days, and and we get to um, the head of this canyon. It's called the um, Barranca Grande, and it's kind of a, a smallish creek that can get really big. And that's where we were going to put in and do 80 miles of water, of river, to the ocean and finish on the ocean. So like a summit to sea kind of thing, right, is the idea of the trip. 
And so at that point, we were done with the bikes, and we walked into this tiny village, village of about 100 people. And pretty much the first people we ran into that looked like they need bikes, which was just about everyone around, we gave the bikes away. And, you know, the people were kind of surprised and then they thought we were crazy. They're like, you must be lo- local gringos, right? Like giving their bikes away. Right. <laughs> but we didn't need them anymore. We, you know, we wanted the good uh, mojo for our river trip. We gave our bikes away and all the tools and spare parts we'd bought along the way because there was a lot of that. And, uh, and we walked back to our river camp and next morning we put on and this river um, heads straight off into the jungle towards the ocean. And it's class three. Maybe some class four rapids in there, but it builds an intensity as you go until you kind of get out of the canyon in about 30 miles. And then uh, after that, it's just a big rapid here and a big rapid there and then kind of some quite a bit of flat water paddling. And then at the very end, you know, we were we were done with the trip for the most part, just had to paddle like 20 more miles of flat water, which should be easy. But we all got super, super sick. So we were like delirious for the last 20 miles. Oh no. You know, the the clincher right there to finish being really sick and get into the ocean and, you know, having a fever. (laughs) It was kind of the perfect Mexican trip. (laughs) So you made it summit to sea. That's very cool, man. Yeah, it was amazing. And and all the people we met along the way were just incredible. Everyone wants to know what you're doing. People were so friendly. I mean, we'd pull over in some little river village and, you know, kids would be bringing us tacos and, and anything they could. And, you know, we ate like kings. It was amazing. Um, I think I spent $350 on that whole trip, including the bike. Wow. How cool. Right. You know, you're not renting a car. You, you know, you're not, uh, you know, it's, it's just easier. It's just easier. Oh, yeah, you bet. I heard something today that I really resonated with. And it was that there have been some studies done recently to evaluate how long people feel that sense of happiness when they buy something new, like a new car or uh, a new toy of some sort. Right. And so it's a, it was a big study, and they said, yeah, well, people don't really get that much joy out of these things for as long as they might think. Mm, sure, yeah. You know, even your dream car is only good for maybe six months. Right, and then it doesn't feel new anymore. It doesn't smell new. Right, exactly. <laughs> but then paired with that was another study where they said, however, when you make memories, mm-hmm. like what you just told us about, when you make memories, those things tend to stick with you for years and years to come. And every time the subject comes up and you retell the story, then you get that new burst of joy and, and enjoyment out of having made a memory like that. Absolutely. I mean, I love sitting around a campfire and hearing other people's stories and telling my own, you know. Uh, such a great way to pass the time when you're out there and, and meeting new people. And, you know, um, it really, it really does make an impact on your life to go out and do these types of things. Um, maybe you'll have a disaster story and, and those make great campfire stories too. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you've told us some fantastic stories today and, and that summit to sea story. I mean, man, you paid 350 bucks for this trip and you, you have a memory that'll last you a lifetime. It, it's worth more than any amount of money that you could throw at it. Right, right. I mean, yeah, I would, I would do that trip in a heartbeat. And, you know, it wasn't easy. There were lots of times uh, during that trip where it was like, you know, it was pretty tough, but you know, you're going to get through it. And then you just kind of stop, take a deep breath, look around, realize where you are, what you're doing, you know, and, and and so many people would just, you know, they'd die to do a trip like that. But, uh, you know, it just takes going out the door, see what happens. Well, how can people get in touch with you if they want to find out more about what you've got going on? Um, you know, probably the best way to get in touch with me is just through my personal blog. Um, and that's that Republic of Doom, the Republic of Doom dot blogspot dot com. 
And then, uh, and they can also see some of my travels. Um, I don't post a lot at Seek and Enjoy, but I'll have some stories there at uh, seekandenjoy.com. So will you close out the show for us with a funny story? I will. I'm not sure if it's going to make the final edit here for you, but uh, do my <laughs> best. <laughs> so, so we were down in the Grand Canyon, and we did a pack rafting trip, self-supported pack rafting trip down there this winter. And uh, Grand Canyon is like the mother of all river trips. And, you know, typically big boats, big shuttles, big money, uh, big everything. Um, so we wanted to do it our way. And our way was pack rafts and self-supported pack raft trip and doing it fast 10 days. Um, typically that river trip takes 21 days, I believe, is the, the normal trip. And it's wow. nice to spend a lot of time once you're down there because it's truly amazing. But, you know, we all have our lives, families, whatever, you know, 10 days was what we could do. So so we did it fast. So anyways, we're we're quite a ways. We're at Lava Rapids, Lava Falls, I should say. Lava is the largest rapid down there, and it's kind of near the end. And by then, you've done so much white water, like you're just in it. It's it's no big deal to look at these huge waves that are 20 feet tall and just punch right through them. You got it. But you get to lava, and lava is mega, and lava will scare the everything out of you. So anyways, <laughs> it was definitely scaring the you-know-what out of one of the members of our crew. So, oh, no. Oh, yeah. So what you got to do is, uh, you know, everyone's got their groover inside their boat, and it's all very tidy, and you've been doing this, but it's very packed away in the middle of your day. It's not something you're just going to pull out at, you know, moments notice, like, I got to go right now. Not happening. So guy on our trip goes down to the edge of the water and he's got a wag bag and you know that's a, a portable bag that you can do your business in right uh for kind of situations like that so he's down there he's using that bag <laughs> i mean he's got to go i mean the river is literally scaring the you know what out of this guy and everyone else as well but i'd already taken care of my business an hour earlier so <laughs> he's down there and then uh, a couple of our buddies go through and and they make successful runs and it's looking good and i'm like okay you know, where's, uh, I won't use his name, but where's my buddy? Like he's going to be my partner through this rapid and I want to get this thing done. I don't want to stare at this thing any longer. I want to get it over with. I want to be done with that thing and I want to be on my way safely. So it's taking him forever, like a half an hour. Like where, where is he? What, what is he doing? Finally comes up, doesn't make anything in the situation. He's like, all right, ready to go. Great. We both go and we both have huge swims. We both swim the whole rapid top oh, to no. bottom massive massive swim i mean just big water you're you're completely out of control get done with the swim collect our everything we pull over after a while everyone's all good and we start going down and everyone's adrenaline slowly wearing off and and uh one of the guys on our trip it goes to uh to my buddy who was my partner in the swim it's like so what were you doing down by the river there i saw you across the river my buddy had to admit to what had happened he does business in this bag, but he sees the other guy across the river. He's like, oh, I better jump up and, and take care of this right away. You know, my buddy's staring right at me from across the river. When he jumps up, he's kind of standing on a pile of sticks. And the sticks, when he jumped on them, flung everything he had just done all over him, all over his face, his hair, oh, inside no. of his dry suit. And it was oh, disgusting, right? No. So he's down at the river for a half an hour trying to clean himself off. <laughs> and our oh, no. other partner had seen him doing this and wasn't going to let him get away with it. He had to make sure everyone in the group knew what happened. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Stranger things have happened. Stranger things have happened. <laughs>
<laughs> yes, they have, but fortunately, uh, you know, strange things like that don't happen too often. <laughs> oh, man. Wild. <laughs> well, hey, Steve, thank you very much for your time today and for the really delightful stories. Absolutely. And Pleasure. thank you for introducing us to pack rafting. What a neat thing to do. Yeah, uh, I encourage anyone to just, like, you know, look into it a little bit. I was never a river person before, but... Uh, it's certainly something that has, uh, has has really grabbed me, and it's been it's been very enjoyable. Thanks also to all of our listeners out there for listening to the show today. And until next time, get out there and have some fun. like to be a guest on a future show just go to adventuresportspodcast.com and click the contact us button mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.